Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, yeah, I turned 40 and I, um, you know, I thought, (laughs) people are still applauding that. It's like, yeah, (laughs) well done, well done. And uh, um, for for those of you who, who have been here for a while, you know, I've kind of um, made a, a bit of a big deal out of it because, not because, I want to clarify this, I'm getting some comments, not because I feel like, <gasps> at all, but I feel like this is significant. The seasons of our life are significant, and so I feel privileged to walk into my 40s, and uh, you get to be part of that too, so yeah, thank you. Well, um, this morning we'll be in John chapter 15. We're beginning a seven-week series through John 15, um, and it is called The Seven Rhythms of the Christian Life. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to John 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, most of the scriptures we'll be in this morning will be on the screen as we walk in. This, this message is an introduction to where we are going, um, and it's also a bit of an explanation for how we view spiritual formation here, how we think of being transformed. And so if you're new to New Hope, you're gonna get a bit of an inside look into what kind of opportunities we form here and and a bit of the why behind it. We here at New Hope, we are helping people find and follow Jesus. We want people to find Jesus, to know his love and his grace, Chris, as you said here just a moment ago, we're loved. That's just true. Jesus, he he came to this world to show us the Father's heart of love for us by even dying for us, rising to life again. We are loved. There's just no question. We want you to find that. We want you to walk in that. We want that to be your identity, that you find Jesus. But also Jesus came that we might be transformed, this idea of following him. And following him becomes, means becoming like him. I think of the word apprentice. I see myself as an apprentice to Jesus. I am seeing what he did and walking in that because doing what he did transforms me and transforms us here. That's what we're interested in, in doing around here. And you'll get a little more insight into what we're talking about and why. So, <clears throat> okay. How you doing so far? All right, all right. John 15, thank you, yeah, John 15. Okay, well, I have noticed that people, you probably noticed this too, uh, do not transform, change, or adopt new behaviors because I tell them to. Wouldn't that be nice? I have noticed that my children do not change because I said so. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're a parent, you've, you've noticed this. Now, being a parent, I can kind of make them do something, maybe, like, you know, you will or else kind of thing, but it's not like their hearts change. Like, oh, Dad, thanks for the genius advice. Man, you know good things, Dad. You know, like, I, that's not usually the experience I have. You, you probably notice the same. Rather, here's, here's how my kids are formed. This is more sobering. They become like what I have modeled for them. 
If you're a parent, have you seen yourself and your child? And you're like, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Do what I say, not what I do, you know. They are the outcome of the environment that my wife, Danya, and I have created. That's, That's what's real. Points to a little bit of how we are formed, how we do learn. Of course, my kids make individual choices, but we have tremendous influence on their behaviors by our lives. What we value, they learn to value. What we love, go ducks, becomes what they love. (laughs) Amen, somebody said. (laughs) How we talk is how they talk. This is a sobering reality, but it's a real one, and it points to how we're formed. This message will have some bearing on parenting. This series will have some bearing on parenting, but it's more a message in a series on human transformation, development, and real learning. Chris spoke a couple of weeks ago on transformation, that we're transformed to transform others, that Jesus is interested in us finding him and following him so that we would help others find and follow him, that we we would be disciples who make disciples, that we are active in helping other people to transform. That's why Jesus is interested in transforming us. And I think you're here because you aspire to change, to transform, to grow, in spiritual maturity. And the question is, um, why don't we change more? I think we can all relate to the distance between what is in our head and what is in our actions. There's a gap. We know more than we do. Have you noticed that? We, We know more things than what we act out. There's a disconnect that can be very discouraging for us. I know better. Anybody had that moment in your life? Yeah. Why is that? Why do we know better than what we do? In part, it's because we have been trained spiritually in a head-first world. A culture that believes that we change because we know better. A culture that leaves, leads with our cognitive minds Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And that has affected all of Western thought, that we think that we're thinking things, that I do the things I do because I think this way, that we think and then we act. But I think our realities, our experiences, would suggest that we act and then we think about and understand what we've done or what we felt even before we understood it. We tacitly believe that we change because we know better. And this is only partially true. We really change because of what we do. We'll read this Dr. Seuss-ish. Seuss-ish. <laughs> Let's read this out loud. And then I'll explain a little bit. So if you don't get it all the first time, that is fine. Ready, go. What we do forms what we love and what we love forms who we are, and who we are forms cravings for what we do, which forms what we love, which forms who we are, which forms what we crave. We'll explain a little bit more. We are creatures of desire. 
We are creatures that act out on what is what we are desiring of. Uh, I've heard uh, ph- philosophers talk about we are teleological beings. We've used that word telos a lot, which means we're moving somewhere. We have a desire in our heart that we are um, very much driven in this way from our, the very seat of, of who we are. We are moving. We are creatures of desire. So this might help a little bit. Watch this. What we do forms what we love, forms who we are, our identity, which forms what we crave, which leads us back to what we do. And then it works like this. We tend to believe that it starts with our brain And once we think something better, then we act better. And that can be partially true, but most of how we are formed is by what we do. What we do then drives this. Think of all the things that we do in the world that are forming us. All the time they're forming us. We're being spiritually formed all of the time. We are being shaped. We conceive of the world because of what we regularly practice. For example, driving on the freeway. We are being formed. A daily drive on the freeway. Too bad you can't be in Southern California like this guy. (laughs) It implicitly teaches you something. These are things that you are learning One, you're learning when you're on the freeway that the world is small and not large because the world via the interstate system is connected from Los Angeles all the way up to, you know, the Canadian border, that the the world is small, it's accessible. You just need to tank a gas and you can go a long ways. You're learning that. You're learning that machines can be trusted with your life. You're learning that human beings can travel much faster than the speed that they can walk, which changes how you think of the world, changes your conception of time, changes your conception of what is possible. It is forming you. It is shaping you. It is causing for you to think about yourself in a certain way and the world in a certain way. James K.A. Smith, a brilliant theologian, writer, he's authored several books, we'll probably reference him quite a bit in this series He calls these cultural liturgies. And a liturgy is just this. It's a formative practice. What is a liturgy? Formative practice. practice. We're going to come back to this idea. Because these regular practices end up forming us, transforming us, and teaching us, shaping us. And I'm taking some time to help us understand how it is actually we learn and change because it'll make sense of Jesus' invitation for us and some of the things that we're doing around here. Another cultural liturgy, a practice that forms us and shapes us and causes for desires to grow within us. What took place yesterday at Autzen Stadium? Where the Oregon Ducks play, have been to many games. I really like the Oregon Ducks. I want to read you through a first-person perspective, and it might give some insight into what I'm talking about, how these things are forming us, these 
cultural liturgies. I wasn't there yesterday, but I have made many trips to the Temple of the Ducks. We're going to talk about this. So I'm going to read this from a first-person perspective. Donning the familiar yellow and green, I touch my pocket again to confirm that I have the tickets that ensure my entrance. I meet my son in the parking lot and a flood of memories overcome me as I recall his first time in the big stadium. He was scared, hands over his head and overwhelmed as we fans roared our approval at every touchdown. Now he isn't scared, but expectant. The crowds, the tents only in green or yellow, the familiar bands and fight songs, pledging victory is at hand. Likely, if you're a college football fan, you feel the anticipation building as we walk together through the mass of cars, gathered families and friends walk towards the arena where, where we will worship together. On the way in, massive icons are displayed on oversized pictures and statues. These are the saints of the past, those whose exploits on the field or coaching or administrative prowess paved the way for our homage today. It is clear as we progress who is good and who is evil. As opposing teams' colors are shown, we shun them. In our better moments, we are level-headed and jovial about the enemy, but when important games are on the line, we find ourselves as enemies of those who would oppose us. We are being formed. We begin to know what it is like to despise, to shame, shun, and even hate. As we enter into the stadium, we anticipate the familiar phrases of the presiding priest, Don Essig, teaching us to hope it never rains at Autzen Stadium. <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, right. <laughs> the duck rides in on the Harley, flags wave, we soberly pay homage to our nation, and then we get ready to worship the idols below. Young, athletic men who wage direct war on the enemy. Through the game, the routines, these liturgies are forming us and shaping us. To win is to be happy. To lose is to be angry. Now, I hope you heard, I, I have participated with this. The point this morning isn't don't watch a football game. But do you see how humans want to be drawn into something that is bigger than them? And that thing will then shape us. And that thing will end up transforming how we use our money and how we would use our time. We live in a culture where people have a hard time making it to church, but they will get up at 4 a.m. to go to the sporting event. We live in a culture where people have a hard time giving praise to God, but they will give praise to the idols running on the field. You get what I mean? I'm not shaming anybody. I hope that's not what you feel. Hopefully it's illustrating we are beings who worship. We are all in worshiping something. And what we are worshiping ends up forming us. And what we are worshiping ends up shaping us and very much changing and transforming our lives. We cannot get away from that reality. Austin Stadium is just one of the dozens and dozens of cultural liturgies that is forming us. But Jesus intends on us being formed through him. Jesus says, I am the way. Do you see the way? 
that we're being formed, the truth and the life. Jesus promises to shape us and to transform us. He promises that we can expect life when we keep company with him. Listen how Jesus intends on forming us. This is the message paraphrase of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, these are his words, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Listen, I love this phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Notice this word rhythms. Regular, repeatable. Jesus calls us into a regular rhythm with him calls us into repeatable rhythms. He calls us into these liturgies with him. We've called them the seven rhythms of the Christian life because these end up shaping our desires and our heart, our actions, and it ultimately changes the whole trajectory of everything. How relieving it could be for us to realize that we don't have to think our way into a more robust maturity, but rather we can step in action and then be transformed through that. That's far more hopeful for me than having to outsmart ourselves. Mm. Well, this is hard for us because we live in a culture that is highly individualistic, consumeristic. The rhythms of Jesus require commitment. It's a High cost, high reward to follow Jesus. We live in a culture where it's a low cost, high reward paradigm. That's the consumeristic mindset. What is the least I have to do to get the most? Every time you go to Walmart, that's what you are walking into. How do I do the least so I can get the most? Jesus says you have to lose your life that you might what? Find your life. So these rhythms are going to cost us something, but it's hard. But if we want to be transformed, it's going to, we're going to have to go deeper. Mark Sayers, who's an Australian pastor, uh, cultural commentator, uh, he wrote a book called The Road Trip That Changed the World. It's great if you want to pick it up. Again, The Road Trip That Changed the World. Um, very helpful in understanding our culture. In that book, he is uh, bringing understanding to the post-Christian consumeristic self-centered, untethered culture of the West. And he talks of a story of going through in his church a number of years ago, putting on a very elaborate church service, you know, lots of creativity. And I guess they were doing like some movie theme thing. And it was Willy Wonka that day. And so the whole church was decked out in like Willy Wonka stuff. And they're making these spiritual parallels between Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and what scripture has to say. And one of their pre-Christian friends came and they were so excited that she came to the service that they were constructing, you know, for her. And she said afterwards, I want to talk to you guys about that. And they thought, oh, wow, she's got some theological question. You know, there's some meaning that has been, you know, brought on. She goes, her question was this, 
do you guys do this every week? And he said, well, maybe not the elaborate thing, but, you know, yeah, we, we meet together every, every week. She says, he says that her, her friend was flabbergasted that Christians would show up to church every single week. She asked, what if something else comes up? They say, no, we're committed. She said, that's weird. <laughs> he comments about this. He writes in his book, listen to this. I, this is so insightful because this is us. The initial barrier to faith for her was not a doctrinal issue, nor one of the hot topics of the day. Neither was it about the shape of the church. Rather, it was simply that the individual would reduce their options by promising to turn up in a place, in, excuse me, turn up to a place in time and space for the rest of their lives. For someone who was immersed in the culture of the road, that's kind of his metaphor for this consumeristic, untethered way of living. Someone who was immersed in the culture of the road, the rhythms and commitments of faith were almost incomprehensible. We are the same. This is the culture that we are living in. The rhythms that would produce transformation within our life, they cost us something. But we don't like cost. But Jesus is the one who says, if you must want to find your life, you must lose it. If we are to transform, we must, must, must be willing to count the cost and commit if we are to be apprentices to Jesus, we must have a high cost, high reward mentality, not a low cost, what's the least I can do. No, high cost, committing, going all in so that we can achieve the high reward. Sayers goes on in the chapter. He says, to contemporary sensibilities, it seems ludicrous. But listen, but in the past, people attended church through a sense of duty, and responsibility. A decision to attend church was not made with individuals' wants, desires, and needs in mind. Rather, church attendance was a part of the fabric of spiritual discipline. Today, people without an ounce of shame admit they are church shopping. Like good consumers, we compare the various attributes of churches looking for the Christian community that will best assist us in achieving our predetermined life goals. Last week, I made comments on how we don't even, we don't even ask the right questions. We live in a culture that tells you, you know what you need. Now just go find what it is that you're looking for. But scripture teaches us that we don't even know what we need. We don't even ask the right questions about what we need. And so we have to commit to Jesus so that we can be taught how to ask the right questions about life. That phrase there will assist us in achieving our predetermined life goals. You do not have the capacity on your own to decide what life is all about and then to decide what you really need. Hallelujah. That's what is true. Oh, it smacks against our individualistic way of thinking though. You and I are the highest value. We don't like hearing stuff like that. It's truth though, because how's that working for our culture? How's it working for an untethered, individualized culture? We are off the rails because we think we can decide. And this affects the church. Jesus said, keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
And keeping company with Jesus requires living in these rhythms, learning these rhythms that will shape us and shape our desires. And one of these rhythms is doing what you're doing right now, attending church and being in community. We think about you as we construct our rhythms here. We think about what it is that we're doing. We're not just putting on a show. You'll notice if you've been here for a while that the new worship song comes out. We don't just do the new worship song right away. We have a small catalog. And, and the reason is because we want you to sing the songs. We want you to actually sing the songs, not just do the new and flashy and cool thing and make you all think that we're really impressive because we're not impressive at all. What is impressive is when we get in our hearts the message and the content of God's word through worship singing, like what Chris said, that's what will change us and transform us. That's why we want you to sing the songs. And so we do fewer songs. And for some of us, we're like, oh, I wish they did the newest thing. Well, you know what? The newest thing is fine, but I want to do the thing that will actually transform you. Singing the songs will transform you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> Breach. <laughs> this series over the next seven weeks is going to address these rhythms. We're going to show how the things that we invite you towards, things like Alpha and Rooted, these are experiences that are created for you to learn new rhythms and habits. The reality is we are being formed already because we cannot do anything but be all in. You're all in with something already. You're all in with a vision of life already. There's no objective standing on the sidelines wondering what you're going to commit to. You're committed to a consumeristic, individualistic way of life. You're committed, you're all into that consumerism, or you're not. There's no kind of standing on the sidelines. There's none of that at all. We are created to worship, and we are already giving ourselves fully over. And Jesus is inviting us to give ourselves fully over to him, to walk in these rhythms so we might be shaped by him. That's where we're going. Okay, John 15. <clears throat> Jesus says, this is the last week of his life. His followers are confused. Jesus is about ready to be arrested. He's going to be killed. He's saying things like, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave. It's better for you that I leave. He says all these things. They're confused. But then he talks about remaining in him. And John 15 is where we're going to center this series as we talk about these rhythms. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. <laughs> Sometimes you read the Bible and like, I don't like what it says. <laughs> he says, you've already been pruned, and purified by the message I have given you. Listen to what he says. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me, Jesus says. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. That's sobering. Jesus isn't just a good idea where we could learn some things from him. He's saying, unless you remain in me, you will not 
live to be fruitful. It gets a little more sobering here. In verse five, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Let's read this next sentence together. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's read it again. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me (laughs) is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. In a way, Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, if you are shaped by me, then you will be asking the right questions because you will be craving what I crave. And of course, I will give you whatever you want when it's according to what I crave and the desires that I've created you to have. That's what Jesus means there. Are you understanding? When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved you. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Listen, verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The longing that is in your heart for contentment, to live a life of purpose, a life of coherence, a life that makes sense, is found in Jesus Christ. He wants you to experience the joy of living according to what you are created to live into, not according to the lies of the world. You see, all the idols of the world give a false promise that they cannot ultimately fulfill. Only Jesus can fulfill all the promises that he makes. He's saying, if you want joy, remain in me. To remain in Jesus is going to mean walking in the rhythms that take us back to Jesus, the things that we see Jesus doing. And we'll make reference to where we're gonna go in just a moment. Your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. His love for them was incredibly sacrificial. Sacrifice is at the heart of the Christian life. Our king sacrificed himself totally over. And so we should expect that we're called to emulate that so that we can experience the joy that he's promising to us. There is no greater love, Jesus says, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command, to love each other. Remain in me. I will remain in you so that you might have joy, so you might be able to obey, so you might be able to experience everything that I have for you. Remain in me, Jesus says. And for us, it requires walking in the rhythms that he has created, that actually Jesus showed us so that we might learn to desire and love what he desires and what he loves.
So how do we do this? That's what these seven rhythms are gonna be all about. For those of you who are going through Rooted, you are specifically going to be learning these seven rhythms in more detail, in more focus. You're gonna experience the high commitment that is Rooted, the high ideal that is Rooted. It's not just learning a few things that you can kind of have a coffee chat about. It's actually going into the rhythms of the Christian faith, implementing and walking them out so that you can start on your journey of true transformation. I envision a whole church of transformed individuals that can truly transform others. The cost is high. We're not gonna play church. We're not just gonna have a nice time together. We are gonna follow hard after Jesus and let him get a hold of our lives. Let him fill us with his spirit so that the world can change. The world needs a solution and it's not found in this Western individualistic consumeristic mindset, but it's gonna take you and I to do it. And these rhythms are what is gonna take us there together. Remember, You are not a thinking thing, you are a doing thing. So as you do these things, you will be transformed. So we'll walk this out. I'll give a little overview of the seven rhythms and then some thoughts for what your next step might be. Um, But we'll get more into each of these in specifics over the next few weeks. The seven rhythms. First of all, daily devotion. When I was young, I did not desire to read the Bible. But now that for years I have been daily reading the Bible and having a devotion time, I crave it. It's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. God, I want to see what your word has for me to say. I don't have to try. I crave it because my desires have been shaped by what I do. Does that make sense? Through the next series, we're going to, and through, for those of you who are signing up for Rooted, you're going to learn that daily devotional life. You're going to learn how God wants to connect with you, how he wants to tell you his affection for you, how he wants to guide your life through daily devotion. We're going to learn more about that. Secondly, we're going to learn about prayer. Jesus who modeled prayer at every stage of his journey. He taught his disciples to pray. He would get away to pray. While he was being killed on the cross, he was praying. He was praying for you and I. John 17 records the prayer of Jesus. If we want to be transformed, we've got to learn how to pray. Prayer is a big topic, and I don't understand it all fully, but I know that I am transformed as I walk in the rhythms of prayer. At Rooted, you're going to learn how to pray. Some of you who have not prayed out loud before and even conceiving of that just freaks you out. You're going to have an opportunity to pray out loud and to articulate your desire or what you need from the Lord and it's going to be transformative for you. Because when you pray, you get into a different sphere, a different way of thinking than if you're just thinking to yourself. Prayer changes us, and we are going to learn that together. We will be a people of prayer. We will be people of confessing prayer, a people of intercessory prayer, people who pray in praising God, that kind of prayer. Anyway, we're going to learn prayer. Number three, the third rhythm of the Christian faith, and we see Jesus walking around and doing this for other people. Freedom from strongholds. There are things in your life that are hidden and they're in the dark and they have a stranglehold on you. 
And Jesus, as he comes and he sees you, he has compassion on you and he wants you to be freed from those strongholds. He did the work by going to the cross and dying, taking on himself the sin and the shame of the world so that we can keep our secrets to ourselves. No, so that we can be forgiven. Galatians says it is for freedom that you have been set free. Do not get tied again to the yoke of bondage that is the law. In other words, feeling like if you got it all right or got it wrong, Jesus, every week I'm just, I don't know. No, he wants us to confess those things, to bring them into light so that he can transform us and heal us. Some of you have been carrying stuff your whole life. It is shame and it is bondage and it is darkness and it's a weight on you and you don't know any other way to live. And Jesus, Jesus is going to set you free by breaking those strongholds in his name. He did it and we are going to walk in it. And that's a regular rhythm of the Christian life. The regular rhythm of transform, being transformed. Strongholds will be broken. The fourth rhythm, and we see Jesus doing this, walking around with a sacrificial habit. A serving habit. Giving himself over habit. Jesus, who saw the disenfranchised, he saw the poor, and he met their real needs, he met their spiritual needs. Jesus served, and he served, and he served. And then he told his disciples, it will be different among you. The first will be last. The last shall be first. A a master is not greater than his servant. That there's a whole new way of the Christian life. That butts up directly with our consumeristic culture which is telling you that you are the highest value every day and you need to live for yourself, that you need to find your life on your own. Through Rooted and through learning this rhythm, we're gonna learn the value and the identity that you have as a servant. You are already a servant. You might be an immature servant. You haven't walked it out. You don't know what it's like to live for other people or consider other people. And through these rhythms, we are going to learn it together. Somebody say amen. Amen. The fifth is sacrificial generosity. We see God's heart in being generous and giving his son. Extravagantly generous. That is the very nature of of biblical love. And God gives us resource so that we can be generous. But in our culture, we tend to think of that resource as meeting what I want and what I need. And through learning these rhythms of sacrificial generosity, we're gonna be transformed financially. Not just because we should live with a balanced checkbook. Yes, we should live with a balanced checkbook. Not just so that we can be debt-free. Yes, we should be debt-free. Not so that we can just save money now so we have more money later. That's fine but so that we can show the world what God's heart is. It is generous. So we can be broken away from those strongholds of consumption and debt that have many of us in bondage. I would guess if we collected the debt that is in this room, it would be in the millions and millions of dollars, not like mortgage debt, like bad debt. I've done enough of these kind of things with churches to know. And God wants to set us free from that wants to set you free from that. Next rhythm is learning to share your story. We will learn the beauty of being able to be vulnerable in community, to be vulnerable with others, for others to know where we come from, 
to know our strengths and our weaknesses, to know the pain that we have carried, the wounds that we've carried, to know what God has done, to be, to, for others to know what we hope God will do. That vulnerability thing is not good in our culture because we're a look good first culture. Every day we're being told, look good, look good, look good, look like you have it all together, look you have it all good. And then you come into church and sometimes in churches it's like the same thing. Jesus said it should be different among you and I think that should be different among us. We should be able to walk in true vulnerability. You, for those of you who've been for a while, I've told on myself here periodically from the front and it's kind of surprised some people and even we've had some people that are like, I don't know if I can be around that. But we believe that Jesus paid it all so that we can walk in freedom. And we can walk in what is true about our lives. And through that, the bondage of Satan is broken. We will learn to share our story. We will learn to share our story evangelistically with others. Your story, my story, has power to draw people to the truth and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And finally, this is some of our favorites. The Christian habit, rhythm of celebration. Jesus was accused of coming, eating and drinking. It's like Jesus showed up at weddings and house parties. Jesus liked to celebrate in that, in that way. Not like drunken, carousing kind of silliness, but like celebrating humanity and celebrating each other. The God of the Old Testament, you've heard me say this before, is like a lot of the Old Testament is like, this is how you construct a party. <laughs> this is how you do it. And it's going to be like seven days long and it's going to be elaborate and you're going to draw attention to my faithfulness. We'll learn through rooted. We'll learn here the Christian habit of celebrating, celebrating God's goodness, celebrating his faithfulness, celebrating each other. Everybody look around, look around at the people around you right now. Look around at the people. These are people creating the image and likeness of God. When you look at them, you get a little glimpse of what God is like because God created them in the image and likeness of God. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to affirm our humanity together. And the joy it is that God saw us fit in 2018 to cross paths and share life together. Yeah. It's worth celebrating. So we'll learn that. And how fun that that's a part of the Christian habit. Well, none of this can be done on our own. This requires community. And so he, here at New Hope, we're going to continue to invite you into community invite you into sacrificial community, into church community, not just community for community's sake, but Christ-centered community where we can be transformed and you're gonna do it, uh, we're gonna do it together. It's gonna be fun. Okay, so um, a couple of thoughts for you as um, we move into the next season. You'll be hearing more about these rhythms over the coming weeks, some points of application for you. First of all, sign up for Rooted or get on the waiting list for Alpha. As you heard in the video, signups end uh, today for both Alpha and Rooted. There's a table in the lobby and I encourage you to sign up. Uh, Alpha, there's a waiting list that you can sign up for, but Rooted, there's still some spots that are open. It's high commitment. It's not just show up every once in a while. It's $40 a person. That, that that uh, pays for your curriculum and the big celebration that we'll have at the end uh, together. But I encourage you commit. Say no to something so you can say yes to something. You'll be transformed as you say yes to that. And conversely, you won't be transformed if you never say yes to anything. 
It's just the way it is. Now that I'm 40, I can say these things, right? It's like, you never, I tell you what. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing there, but I, yeah. This week, pay attention to what is forming you. What is forming you isn't just like what you read or you listen to somebody talk, but what you're doing, everything is forming you, shaping you. And ask yourself, what am I being taught by what I am exposing myself to? And finally, today we'll receive communion. And I invite you to allow it to form within you thankfulness, humility, and sacrifice. Let that be formed within you. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him, remembrance of his walk, his painful walk to the cross, what he endured on the cross, pouring out his blood, allowing his body to be broken and torn so that we can be set free to, to remember that because to also remember that three days later he rose from the dead and he conquered all that sin, shame, hell, the grave. Remembering what he's done forms us and it shapes us. And it is my prayer that you would allow communion to shape you. Amen. Imagine yourself two or three years from now. And imagine that you're craving prayer. That you're craving reading of God's word. Imagine that you're craving opportunities to serve the people around you. To serve in your church. Imagine that you're craving that God will give you more resource, not for your own ends, but so that you can give it away. Imagine yourself craving an opportunity to release somebody from shame by telling your story. Imagine yourself craving the things that Jesus craves and desires for you. Imagine yourself not just willing yourself, okay, I better go to church, but actually because you have friendship and community that you're being drawn into this. Imagine that will come after you learn these rhythms and these habits and walk out in commitment, this high demand of being a Christ follower in a culture that tells you you shouldn't have to give anything. There's joy, Jesus said. My joy, my joy that you can have if you remain in me. We remain in him through the seven rhythms of the Christian faith. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to shape within us new desires, a new dream and a new vision for what you're up to in the world. You ask us to give you everything because you have everything to give us. All the things that are in our hearts, real love, genuine relationship, a coherent life that makes sense found in you. Help us to discover that. Jesus, we want to be good apprentices to you. We want to be formed as we follow these rhythms. We want to be different than the world around us, not so that we can judge, but so that we can model 
We can show people what has gripped our hearts. I pray that you would help us, every one of us, to walk this out. Show us where each of us needs to commit. Show us where we need to go all in. Show us where we need to step. And I know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. You could just quietly stand where you are. Brett and the team are gonna lead us in um, another song. And during the course of that song, we have a communion station here and one here, and also one in the back of the room. Would you make yourself, make your way, take the bread and the cup. You can take it back to your seat, partake of it whenever you feel comfortable. And remember what Jesus has done. And remember what he is shaping within you. And allow this simple act to form you. And by the way, you don't have to be a church member here to participate. If you're somebody that believes in Jesus and is learning to follow him, you're welcome to receive communion with us this morning. Let's sing and receive of communion.